Okay, so here's my question for you. Which flight are you? Uh, Bravo. Uh, okay. Right, what what a session year are you? You're probably the same as you're we're the same. We, we were the same class. So we were yeah. 16, 16 oh, okay. yeah. So your instructor was Major Weber. Yes. Yeah, I went through her I, orientation course also. So I went to oh, systems. Oh, yeah, you were right systems. Away. That's right. That's yeah, right. I, can't, that's, I can't believe that. Never again. So you're, you're a tw- well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's not, let's not. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, let's. This let's, is this let's, is a systems lover over here. Oh. <laughs> I'm he on my third affid. systems he did flight. So. He did an affid in systems, so he's stuck in it forever now. The views and opinions of authors expressed herein do not necessarily state or reflect those of the United States government and shall not be used for advertising or product endorsement purposes. Hey there, C41A listeners. Greg Taylor here announcing a special series of episodes. We wanted to spend some time with our fellow MSC officers out in the Air Force world especially those that have unique deployment experiences, and learn how their time downrange helped them grow as an administrator and as a leader for their future jobs. So, we sat down with these MSCs and got their stories, and we think you'll enjoy getting to know a bit about the people we serve with. If what you hear provides you with a moment of inspiration or makes you curious to learn more, we encourage you to reach out to the people interviewed or to us here at C41A.com and ask a question or let us know your thoughts on these stories. And now, on with the show. Welcome, everybody, to the C41A podcast. We're here with another Deployment Stories interview, and we're pleased to welcome Captain Ochoa to the podcast. Captain Ochoa, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience? Well, hey, everyone. Uh, Captain Jill Ochoa. I have been in the Air Force for, oh, man, going on 13 years now. I came in as a 4AO commissioned back in 2015, became an MSC. I'm currently at the schoolhouse here at Fort Sam as an HSA instructor. How did you end up getting your current job? So I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And I knew I was coming up for PCS. I happened to be going to Colonel Christy Snow's retirement. She was a mentor of mine or still is a mentor of mine throughout my entire career. And part of the reason I commissioned. And we were just kind of discussing you know, what my options might be. And she actually was the one who suggested, you know, how about the schoolhouse? And it just kind of clicked. It's something that I think I would really be interested in doing. I really enjoy leading flights and I really wanted to have an impact on our brand new MSCs, whether it's coming into the Air Force or newly commissioned uh, from being prior. Obviously, Chris, Minoj and I, we've all gone through HSA once upon a time. And I think at least for me, it was 12 years ago. And I still think about some of the experiences of HSA even to this day in my career field. So I imagine that you'll have an outsized impact on a lot of people's lives going forward. Yeah, I really hope so. I, I hope it's a good impact. <laughs> I'm sure it will be. I'm sure it will be. <laughs> so Jill, I understand you and Manoj were HSA classmates. Is that right? We 1601, were. 1601. Yeah. We were, we had a really good class, quite a handful that I think we still stay in touch with. It was a good group. Definitely enjoyed my time with everybody there. Actually, I think half of our HSA class was actually in my COT class too. So we really spent a good like two to three months straight together. So it, it was an awesome experience. 
Well, and then we were stationed together, um, Manoj and I. Oh. That was our uh, first assignment as we were both at Shepherd together. Jill was pretty much my first MSC friend. Like yeah, I was his first friend. <laughs> 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 and uh, I think the lab officer was technically my sponsor, but then, you know, he's lab. He doesn't know much about the MSC yeah. world. So yeah. Jill kind of was like, I'll show you around. I was like, yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't even know if I have my name <laughs> tapes right. or my rank <laughs> Yeah, because you, you came good. in as a director session. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, coming in as a prior four A had, had a yeah, he bit was a challenge. Wait, he, still he is. was good. He was good. He was good. <laughs> so how about how about you, Greg? What was your HSA class? We were eleven oh one, and that was back at Wichita Falls. Oh um, yeah. One fun fact of my career, and uh, especially as right now, this very week, I am actually hitting my twenty years of service. Congratulations! Congratulations. Kind of exciting and a little bit scary too. But the HSA class. So one fun fact: I was a prior BMET before commissioning, and so you know, I was at Shepherd at Tech School there for a very long time. And all in all, in my Air Force career, twenty years now, I've spent one year and four months TDY to Shepherd Air Force Base out of that career. Wow. Anyway, the you know the class I, I still keep in touch with several of my classmates, and it's really kind of crazy that the lieutenants that I went to the club with so many years ago are are lieutenant colonels now in charge of important things at DHA oh. and stuff like that. Yeah, you know we're growing up so fast. So hey, Jill, since yes. we're talking about deployments, <laughs> or we will be talking about deployments. <laughs> What deployment um, are you here to talk with us about? It? Can you tell us just, uh, you know, kind of location, time frame? Yeah. Your, so I was, was tasked to deploy on a ground surgical team to Afghanistan. And it was in 2019 to 2020. So at the end, I think it was about July. There was so much training involved. So I think I start to count it as May uh, 2019, and then I came back in February 2020. So you know, you mentioned training as part of your uh, your buildup. How was the buildup, the the pre deployment? You know, what did you know beforehand uh, before you went and actually arrived in country? So when I was first tasked to deploy. I honestly thought I was going to go, and I, I hate to say this because I don't mean to downplay anybody's deployment, but I really thought, you know, typically we'll deploy to cushier places. I, I thought I was going to go to, I don't know, maybe I was going to go to Kuwait and there's a pool. I don't know. <laughs> this was actually my first deployment. So I didn't really know what to expect. And I was told, okay, first of all, I'm going to Afghanistan. All right. Okay. Well, here's the location you're going. No idea where that is. So I Googled it and it happens to be one of the most dangerous locations in Afghanistan. So automatically I'm starting to panic a little, but you know, it's okay. Calm down. I have always wanted to deploy. I am looking forward to the opportunity, but honestly, I really thought, you know, my commander actually might think about giving this to someone else. I mean, I don't know, are they going to consider I'm a single mom right now? And again, not that I was trying to not go because I did want the opportunity. So I am actually really grateful that that didn't happen to me. But that's where my mind was going in preparation for it. Once I found out what I'd be doing and being part of that team, it does require, I think, extensive training more so than maybe a typical deployment to a location like Kuwait or Qatar. And so, you know, first and foremost, I had to think about, I got to figure out what to do with my daughter because this was a short notice 
tasking, the team I was going with, the MSC on that team, something had happened and ultimately they weren't able to go. So I actually joined my team maybe about a month late. So I really had to speed through all this. I got my daughter situated off to California, trying to just focus on every CBT imaginable. And then I had to go, we had multiple trainings. There's training at Wright Pat that you have to do three weeks, then, you know, follow on to Camp Bullis where you got to do, you know, your typical e-meds, but then there's an additional, once, once you get to see everybody going home on the bus after e-meds, you at the GST has to stay back and do some additional field training. That was like the convoy training, weapons training, things that I never pictured I'd be doing or learning how to do. And again, all awesome experiences. We did a lot of TCCC. And, you know, it's funny because I was just talking about this the other day. We do so much training. And I don't think a lot of people take it all that seriously, especially when it comes to TCCC. And, you know, we have these scenarios and we're actually getting out and, and playing with our, our supplies or assemblages. And people just think it's a game. And I never took it seriously. I thought, you know, there's no way I'm going to be using any of these skills that I'm learning. But okay, I understand why we have to do it. And then in actuality, if you get to put on a team like this or in a similar situation, you'd, you'd be surprised. I, I actually did utilize these skills. So a follow-up question. So you mentioned freaking out a little bit at the beginning based on where you're going and what you might be doing. Did any of that kind of subside as you went through the trainings or did it get worse? It's probably what a lot of people feel when they get tasked. It's like, oh no, like I'm I'm deploying. This is scary. At least for a first timer. I know there's a lot of people out there that I can't wait to deploy. Get me out of here. I'm done. But like for those that might be a little more timid, like what was that process like getting to, did it ever feel normal? Did it ever feel okay? Or was it just freak out the whole time? You know, I don't think it actually felt okay until I got out there and I got comfortable but it was manageable. As I started going through, I think what really stressed me out the most when I was asking for information, people could explain what a GST was, but I really didn't know much about it. I started Googling myself and there was this awesome video out there that I ended up watching and I'm thinking, no way, that's what I'll be doing. It kind of gives you goosebumps. I think you can look it up. It's If you just Google ground surgical team, there's a yeah, I'm looking for it now. Yeah, it was a good one. So I watched that and I thought, okay, well, this is, this is kind of cool. I started reaching out to people, trying to see what I could find. I didn't know what I was going to have out there as far as, you know, you, there's no mall, like there's no stores. Like, what do I need to actually bring with me? What is there a BX? What's available? So all of that made me a little bit uneasy. All the gear I was being issued, the fact that I had to take not one, but two weapons in what looked like a bazooka case, all made me very uneasy. And again, I went by myself. So if you deploy as a team, like the team that I met out there, they were fortunate. They got to go out together. And one of the individuals on the team who was awesome had deployed in this capacity before and actually had deployed with the army previously. So he was able to help them through the process. And I kind of was a solo in the effort. So I did have to figure out a lot of this myself, but I was really fortunate. I had a really awesome team at Mountain Home, which is where I got this tasking from. Everybody was really supportive up to even helping me take care of my house because again, it was so short notice, people volunteering to mow 
my lawn until I got it figured out to get my mail, you know, checking on my flight, just every little thing you can imagine running errands for me because I was at a training and, you know, all this, you know, your MSC family really helping me out. And that stayed true the whole way to my end location because there were multiple stops along the way to get where I was going. And it was just amazing. The network, I, you know, I'd get to the first place and an MSC I had never met, never talked to. Somebody had coordinated with them and they picked me up and they took me to where I was going to sleep for the night and said, you know, here, you need anything. And then they brought me back in the morning and I get on my next plane and go to the next location. And there's another MSC picking me up, you know, throw my stuff in the back. So it was just amazing. My entire way until I got to my final destination, somebody coordinated and I didn't see that. So I felt really fortunate. It brought a sense of ease to me. You know, you, when you think, okay, you know what, maybe this is all right. Maybe I'm going to be okay here. Yes. You're never truly alone. I mean, there were, yeah. there were moments of struggle that you did by yourself, but there were people that you could reach out to or who just reached out to you on their own along the way, which is, that's pretty neat to see when that all comes together like that. Yeah, it was. And the last, so this had all happened over the course of, you know, uh, maybe a week or more, but the very last day, once I finally got to my own location, you know, I got out, I had all this gear on, it was so heavy and it was so tired and I dropped something and, you know, you know, you have this vest on, you have everything. And I just kind of squatted down to pick it up and I'm not kidding, but I could not stand back up. It was just too much. And then these two guys, these, these army guys walked by me, didn't even say anything, both grabbed the side of me and lifted me up. And they're like, you're all right. And then they walked away and I was like, okay, <laughs> thanks. You know, so it just, it was consistent throughout. Somebody was really there to willing to pick you up literally. So it sounds like with it being short notice, did you know, like, were you assigned to a GST? No, I was not. Okay. I, and maybe it was just me, but I had not really heard much of the concept. So that's why I had to do all that Googling, but no, my GST was out of another location. And for the most part, that team was all together and that, except for that individual who wasn't ultimately able to go. So they knew I was coming. And from the minute they found out it was me, you know, I had that, the team leader who I was telling you had been on deployments like this in the past was already reaching out to me, just giving me the, Hey, this is what, you know, kidding. You know, you need to bring this, you need to bring that. It's okay. You don't have to overload on this. And so I had a better idea and was able to prep me for what I was about to go into. So because of that, is there anything that you wish you could have done differently or you would have known sooner? Like, I know that it was a short tasking, so it was probably everything. But in lieu of that, like, was there any one thing or a few things in particular that you wish you could have done maybe that would have prepared you better or that maybe you would have known about maybe a little earlier? Maybe if I was ever given the opportunity to go on another GST deployment, I think this past one is where I learned the lessons because we can train and the training is great. They try to make it as realistic as possible. You know, that adds to your to your toolkit, but not until you experience it yourself. Do you, I think you really, the takeaways from that. And again, I think every deployment on a GST would be different depending on where you were and your reach back and how forward you actually were to where you just have to figure it out yourself. So yeah, definitely looking back, I think I learned a lot that I would 
apply to the next deployment, like making sure I was familiar with the processes. I'm maybe more so than I was when I first got there because I didn't know the questions to ask or I didn't realize how difficult it would be to sometimes get supplies or the right people to go to for supplies. I think this deployment taught me a lot of lessons and, you know, even down to just tracking equipment or the little things that I would apply to the next deployment. I, I don't know what else they could have done to really prep me for this specific situation. How have those lessons changed the way you view your job now back at home station? And whether that's a job back in the MTF that maybe you had done when you returned back or even your current job as an HSA instructor. Maybe just being, I think I've always been somewhat proactive, but I think more so now or ask more questions or I think about things a little bit deeper uh, and I try to stay probably a few more steps ahead. Honestly, I came back and I'm like, why do we care about these little things? This is so stupid. That don't you guys know? Like that's yeah. No, I think I, honestly, I think that's a great perspective to say that the difference between what we do when we're asked to deploy and what we do in normal home station operations is in many ways night and day. Yeah. And we can often get lost in that day-to-day sort of minutia bureaucracy is probably a better term for it. And I think a lot of that just sort of melts away in a deployed environment, or at least that's seems to be the common theme that we're hearing as we're doing more of these interviews. Yeah, no, that's, I think that's actually very true. And I guess when I came back from what I was seeing and what I was actually doing, and I think the first time, and I will tell you, I mean, I've done exec duty before, so I understand you know, the importance of writing a good memo. But when I came back and I was trying to route something and it, you know, it kept bouncing back at me. That's my first thought was like, no, we just need to get this done. We just need to get this approved so we can continue on with the mission. But it is, it's very different in deployed location and home station. You're not the only one, I mean, who said that and who feels that way. You know, there, there just isn't enough time in a deployed environment for all that bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. I need to get in action or get this thing moving now. Yeah, and you just need to get it done. Let's go. Yep. A lot of those little items just fall away because they're not going to be material to the decision that needs to be made. Mm-hmm. You know, whether there's two spaces after a period or one. Yeah. So back to your your deployment. Can you speak to some of the challenges that you faced What once you got in country, you're there with your team? What were some of the things that you had to overcome? So probably a big thing is just the unknown. I did stress often about the nature of the patient or, or what was going to happen next or if I was going to mess something up and what happens if I do mess something up. When I was in training, uh, we talked to people who had been on these deployments and I'd ask how many patients did you actually see? And sometimes the answer was we were fortunate there were none. So I thought maybe that could be the case with me and I'm here, we're doing this job. Okay. So if we don't have any patients, maybe that's a great thing because then nobody got hurt. Well, first or second night I went to sleep and then banging on the door, maybe one o'clock in the morning. And I was just thinking in my head, no way. This is, are you serious? I just got here. Is this really happening? And so, you know, the adrenaline took over and we rushed to our little operating room, our clinic set up at that location. And there we go. A patient came in. It was a, it was a gunshot wound and I had never seen, you know, I'm an MSC, right? I, I am not, I didn't sign up for the blood and guts for a reason, 
so I didn't know how that was going to impact me. I always thought I was squeamish. It turns out I'm not, I'm not so much. I handled it well. And I realized, you know, you turn into, it's more about, oh my gosh, I hope this person is okay. I hope everything's going to be all right. And you just want to, you just want to take care of them and, and do whatever you can to, to fix this. Well, one of the challenges for me is I was that additional set of hands as the MSC. We have, you know, various roles on these teams and I wasn't a hundred percent familiar with all of the supplies that are utilized in an operating room. So when I'm being asked to get things and, you know, assist the surgical tech or, you know, document this or document that I'm not necessarily writing in a manner that they would, or I didn't want to distract them. I felt really bad when I'm having to ask them, well, they're very clear. They're clearly very busy working on this patient actually conducting surgery. And I'm over here like, is this the one you need? Or is this the one you need? Is this one? You need? So that just made me want to you know, educate myself a little further on our off time. But that was probably one of the biggest challenges for me is understanding their language, uh, what they needed and you know what I could do to help them instead of hindering their ability to actually get done what they needed to do, because I'm over here distracting them asking, is this the right size needle? I think, you know, you, you don't want to slowing them down from like the important things that they're doing. The only GST work I've done, you know, has been in training in the e-meds scenario or, you yeah. know, over at, uh, at right path for the phase one, but you know, when real lives are on the line, you know, it's just that much more strongly the fear of, you know, getting in their way or, or messing things up. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, thinking about this team already knows each other. They've already practiced the other exercise together. They understand each other to a point. But when you're put in a situation like that and you actually have real world patients coming in and you're hearing the sirens go off because incoming, it's a stressful situation and everybody's trying to do what they came there to do. They're trying to do their jobs, get the blood out, get, get this going, get that going. And then I'm over here just trying to help. And then that just that first go around was I had a lot of anxiety. I was stressed out because exactly right. I didn't want to get in their way. And I felt like at the beginning I was once I got used to that team and they started to teach me and educate me, it was awesome. The surgeon would, you know, walk me through what he was doing and just to, just to show me because they they truly enjoyed it. I think I started to get more comfortable. I'm glad you bring that up because one one of the things that you had mentioned earlier was about team building. You you were coming in on a team that already had an established relationship with each other and you were the new person. Was there anything in particular that you did after you got together with the team to help, you know, with team building now that you were a new member of the group? So I think just being involved in all of their trainings, because they they really did have a great system. Like I said, the doctor on the team, he constantly had some kind of training plan set up for everyone. And I showed up and I tried to be as involved as I could and be an active participant, even though it wasn't necessarily things that I would be doing. I just wanted them to know that I'm there and I just wanted to be part of this team. They were extremely welcoming. <laughs> Oftentimes the MSC officer on a ground surgical team and the surge tech are doing a lot of stuff together. Uh, Was that the case for you as well? Oh, definitely. We went everywhere together. It was the only other female on the team. And then many a times it was really the only female, the other female at whatever location we may be at. So we were hip and hip everywhere we went. So I'm, I'm so grateful that I had her for my own, for my sanity. She was amazing at 
teaching me, training me every, she's the one who went over all the, you know, this is what I'll need. This is the order that we needed in. So she really helped me out there and helped me do everything that I was responsible for. For the most part, the team helped me with inventories. Like they were great. They helped me when we had to, you know, get the pallets ready. They didn't just leave me stranded to do it myself, but I would say her most of all with all of my little tasks, she was right there trying to assist me along the way. That's great that you had somebody who, you know, took the time and the effort to be there for you like that. I mean, some of it, I know you had to, right, with the buddy system, but still, you know, being the only two females on, a, you know, on a fob or at a location like that, it's good that you had a good relationship because otherwise it would have been that much more isolating. Oh, I can't imagine if our group wasn't the way we were with those the personalities that happened to be on this team. Because when you're with each other so much in such tight quarters, yes, of course, there were times where I think people got a little irritated with each other and just took a walk. It's going to happen. We're, we're human. It's natural. But for the most part, I mean, it was no issues. Coming on site like that and, you know, you're a mobile team, what were the challenges as far as, you know, getting resupply or, or keeping track of all of the equipment items that you had? Uh, was that difficult to do or, or do you have any stories uh, related to that? I do. So we did have a difficult time with our equipment initially. Okay. So when I first got there, I took over a, a TPE account there to provide equipment and honestly, this is probably my own fault. I was, I really wanted the individual who I was replacing to be able to go home, but there was a lot of, I probably could have done a better inventory. I had an idea where most of it was, but there were a few pieces that were honestly spread out over Afghanistan. And I think I spent six months trying to make sure everything was fully accounted for. We got there, but looking back, I would have done that differently. Or at least I, again, I would have taken that on to my next GST deployment. And that's just these, that's just the equipment that's, that's already out there. That's not part of your assemblage. We did have some problems with some of our equipment, but we were really fortunate with the beamets that we had and that were able to come out to our location and troubleshoot or fix whatever they needed to. Resupply could be a challenge at times. And again, because we didn't have, sometimes there was only one computer, two computers for a location. So getting in there and actually doing the proper way to submit a request we were fortunate in that we had an awesome, she was an MSC, Army MSC at Bagram. And really it was a matter of, I could WhatsApp her what we need and she would find a way to get it to us. You did what you had to do and you figured out how to get it to us and she got it to us. So no, I wouldn't say there was a very formal process, but we got it done. That's the way it goes, right? It wasn't formal until you were doing your closing inventory with your replacement, right? Exactly. And then I'm not signing for anything I don't put my eyes on. Yes. And I was adamant on making sure that they did put their eyes on it because I had worked so hard to make sure that I tracked down all that equipment. And actually, it was great. That was another thing that MSC did at Bagram. She took over that account ultimately away because I, I don't personally think in, that it should be attached to the, the team because they could pick up and leave to a new new location that what happens to all this equipment that's left at a previous location. You can't take it all with you. Manoj, did you have any follow-up? Are there any cool stories you want to share? Honestly, I just thought it was it was so amazing what I was able to do in those rooms or in, you know, our makeshift operating rooms. And 
I just seeing all this unfold, depending on where we were, it was always a little different, but actually that first patient that came in having my hands in that belly while the surgeon is educating me and telling me exactly what I'm touching or holding never in a million years would I have ever imagined that I would have done something like that. And just to see these people come in and how much they're, you know, it was Afghan, I was Afghan soldiers and to see, you know, their fellow commandos come in and just, you know, you have to kind of got to get them to the side of the room because they're so worried, but, you know, ultimately, and then they come out and sit, they're sitting outside your ISO shelter, just waiting for you to come out and tell them, okay, good to go. And just being a part of all that, just seeing what these guys can do, these, this surgeon and this team can actually do this guy. I looked like his face had been shot off and you can see it and you can see through the, the entire process throughout the surgery. And then at the end, I'm like, I can, I can see him. I, I don't know who these are two different people. No way. This is the same person, but it's just amazing to me that that's what happened. And now this guy's going home, you know, cause this team was there, but uh, it's kind of surreal thinking back at some of these people that we did see and some of these patients that we did see. Yeah. They don't teach you how to hold a stomach in place at HSA, huh? No, <laughs> no, no. I'm, and I'm glad because uh, I don't want to teach that lesson, but I, we had a situation with the mask, Cal, and it was so stressful. And I just remember just sweating like crazy. And again, that adrenaline kicks in because you're trying to document, or I was trying to document for like four different patients at the same time. I don't want to mix anything up. I don't understand, you know, some of this. So I'm, I'm just trying to spell out as much as I possibly can. Cause I don't want to be the reason, you know, something goes wrong again with the documentation or, you know, when we transport that patient, that handoff, I don't want somebody not to be able to read my notes during the handoff or mix anybody up. So I felt like it was a lot of pressure, but the, that adrenaline really does kick in and you figure it out. But it was so cool working with some of these teams and seeing what they actually do, like working with the Green Berets or their, that special ops team and seeing them go out on missions and then how they look when they come back. And um, that was pretty awesome. Just out of curiosity, seeing, you know, some of that, that significant trauma like that, is that, is that something that it's been difficult to kind of get over or get back to normal life after you got back? Yeah, definitely. I didn't think I noticed it at first. I think it kind of came out recently. And when I tell, I've told this story a few times and it does get me choked up a little bit and I never thought it would impact me like that. Again, I, I've always thought of myself as a very resilient person and things don't really get to me. When I got back, I did feel the you know, reintegration. It's such a, just an odd feeling being back in a routine. And so that went away. I adjusted. And honestly, when all this stuff happened in Afghanistan, not that long ago, I think that was a trigger for me because I started thinking about all those people I had met and you know, the interpreters and those relationships that I built there. And it brought a lot of those thoughts out. I find myself driving to work and thinking about some of those patients or thinking about that, even that just that feeling of isolation there to the point where I decided, and I don't think there's anything wrong with going to see someone I never have, but I just, I hadn't for this because again, I didn't think it impacted me the way it did. And finally I, you know, went over to mental health and to talk to someone. And I, when I was sharing my story, I just started breaking down and crying. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I don't know why I'm crying. And 
It does. It brings something out of you. And those, those memories are, are real. I think I'm okay. I'm, I'm dealing with it, but it does pop into my head often. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that with us and being vulnerable to share that with our listeners as well. I think it's extremely important that we talk about those types of things and how they can impact us. You know, we often talk about resiliency and, and mental health, and we often think that, you know, oh, hey, I'm, I'm really strong. I can handle a lot of things. But the, the reality is, is we're all just human and they all, all these things impact us at, at different levels and in different ways. And so I, I just want to express a, a, my gratitude for you sharing that and, and being vulnerable here on, on the podcast. So thanks for, thanks for doing that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I second that. I, I, I mean, I asked the question because I think it's important that we acknowledge that these things do take a toll and you know we we have to be willing to get out there and and seek help um you know if we need it or just you know share those experiences and let folks so they can go into it into future engagements and future deployments knowing that they're not the first person that's ever dealt with issues like this and that they they can go ahead and reach out to somebody if they need to you got any other fun stories jill Oh, I know. It's so funny because I've been thinking about this. I've been thinking about it so much lately. You know, we tell deployment stories at HSA. It's a you know a couple hours dedicated to that, and then uh, the instructor school. I I did brief you know just what goes into being on a surgical team without going into great detail, and so I feel like all these all these things have just been flooding through. I'm ready to like reach out to everyone on my team and check on them and say hello. And I've uh, been reminiscing about all of it. It was a lot. There was a lot. There was a lot of moving parts to the whole experience and something I don't think I'll ever be, I, well, I'll never there again. I'll never experience that again. And so I'm really grateful I got the opportunity to, to be there and be part of that. This doesn't have to be in the show, but what's it like being the Yelp? Young healthcare minister. Oh, stop year. it! Stop <laughs> it! I hate. I hate when people say that. So we were looking at the wall. I'm like, oh my god, I work here now, so I'm going to take that down. It does not need to be on the wall. So yeah, and so there we go. That scratch that. <laughs> Come on, completely deserves. Stop it. Because of, I got lucky with this deployment. Yeah, you probably had a very unique 1206. Made me sound a lot cooler than I am. DHA transition, DHA transition. Uh, Wait, what? What did she do? Yeah. Okay, yeah, this is uh, the one. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I was I was on the ACC staff when that package came in, and I think I was one of your graders actually. Oh like, yeah. Number, okay. Yeah. I'd always yeah. like to see. That. I mean, you you were like my like number three or four, but you know. Oh, oh I get it. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> in all reality, in all reality, I I have no idea. I don't completely. It's one of those things that I did not retain. I, I remember they were like, I think every base had one, one oh, nominee, uh, you know, yeah. from ACC. And I don't remember where they all graded out, but, uh, yeah. but I know we had interacted a little bit while I was there yeah. know, just with you, you know, at the flight level at Mount For the Rome readiness. And yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, everyone was, you know, spoke really highly of, you know, the work that you were doing at Mountain Home. So it was no surprise. Good. And then I left and they're like, wow, she hit all this. And I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All I'm the skeletons kidding. came tumbling. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> you, we're red in all of that. What the heck? Man, I know. <laughs> I'm so like every time the I, I still keep in great contact with, the, of course, the girl I replaced or replaced me, friend of mine. And 
and it'll be the littlest thing that, Hey, do you know what happened to this? And I go into like this whole, let me help you fix it right now. Well, this is where we're at. (laughs) We need to fix it. It's like, it's okay. It's like normal stuff, but it's funny. <laughs> I'd be like, uh, I did real Air Force stuff. Uh, you yeah. can deal with that memo yourself. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. I was at a GST in 2019, man. I know. I'm still living. <laughs> I'm, I'm living that high. Said, yeah, I'm still checklist. living that high. <laughs> but you, you came back to COVID. Like, ugh. I, like, I that know. Be... <laughs> so real quick, when I came back to COVID, I was so mad because, well, right before I left, I had been extended a little because that whole missile thing in early 2020. And so we got extended, I think a month and I had, so I bought tickets to Europe like this. Remember you were going to show me around England? Yes, that's right. Yes. You were going to come. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. <sighs> And they didn't give me my money back for the hotel. I was pissed. <laughs> oh, anyway. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and, and sharing your deployment stories and your lessons learned, giving everybody out there just a chance to learn a little bit about you and some of the things that you went through. So thanks again for being here. We really appreciate your time. Yeah, anytime. Well, I'm happy to come back if, you, if you'll have me. Well, great. We'll, we'll take you up on that offer, I think. So from all of us over here to all of you out there, have a good evening. C41A is an independent company and produced by C41A Media. Digital media support and creative director, Minoj Rima. Marketing and IT, Christopher Foote. And director and outreach, Greg Taylor.